the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Good day. Good day. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening. Hmm. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I don't get enough calls. One thing I won't do is you can't call the show and ask the producer to tell me something or to ask me off the air. So if you want to hear the show... If you want to contact the show, feedback to the show, ideas of the show, call directly 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Markets open higher, but they've kind of edged a little bit lower. Still in the green, eh, not really so much. SP 500's up half a point. NASDAQ up seven one-hundredths of a point. It's touched red already. Dow up 29 points, but it opened higher. So a lot of people are looking at the Brexit issue as maybe it was a little overblown. Or maybe, just maybe, we were down Friday and sat, uh, Monday, and today's only Thursday, so we we're up Tuesday and Wednesday. Between last Friday and this Monday, the S&P 500 declined 113 points between Friday and Monday. That's down 5.3%. Between Tuesday and Wednesday... The S&P 500 gained 71 points, up 3.5%. It's been kind of one of those remarkable periods that I know in this day and age, the volatility seems a little bit more normal, but 20 years ago, 40 years ago, this was downright crazy. I could tell you when I was growing up and I was reading the newspaper and following stocks with my father that you know companies like JCPenney's or Sears would move $3 a year, not $3 a day. So I think it would be a mistake to jump out of the narrative right now because the, the prevailing narrative is that the turn of events last week with the Brexit is not going to be as bad as feared, certainly not for the United States. I think it would be a mistake, though, to think that we've got past it. The initial shock of it is yet 
expects more reverberation in the economic data in the months ahead and in the political arena in the years ahead. Sunday, you get Spain going to the polls. Will they come anti-government or what will it, what will it look like? Next year, you get Germany and France going to the polls. Right now, you've got France, who's pretty unhappy with the whole European Union. you got Italy unhappy. You have banks there that are screwed because they've got a lot of loans that are piling up that are going to be bad. But they also have low interest rates, so they can't really make money in the short term. So they have a problem. I would not touch a European bank with my pinky. So I know you can make money, but it's just not my play. Someone sent me an email yesterday where he's like, hey, I got this this company up in Alaska who's doing water treatment, blah, 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 blah. You look at the company, it's a $200 million company. It's, I'm sorry, it's not even that. It's tiny. It has no revenues. It has nothing but a story and quote-unquote a patent. You really need to be cautious on the companies that have no revenue yet but are promising revenue down the road and that are essentially penny stocks. So can it be a home run? Sure. But I've seen those stories. Well, there was one I remember back in the early 2000s. Uh, this guy used to work for AT&T, and he has this patent. He worked for Lucent in particular. Lucent was a big telecom equipment part of AT&T. And he has this patent that's going to revolutionize telecommunications forever. And uh, there was going to be a big release on, like, August 1st. And the the press releases were, like, all put in the... Wall Street Journal, so you saw them in April, May, June, July, heading up into the August. And then when push came to shove, the company had a patent, but no one ever used it, and it was no big deal. The company went bankrupt. But the stock went from like $0.10 cents up to like $5, up to $10, and then down to nothing. So I think uh, taking a look at today, we're starting off a little bit on the positive side. That's okay. Do we end there? I don't know. A number of bank stocks are supporting modest gains. After the release of the Federal Reserve's Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review, the CCAR, which is kind of a stress test for 33 banks in the United States, 31 out of 33 were granted approval for their capital return plans, although Morgan Stanley's approval was conditional on the grounds that it resubmitted a capital plan by December 29, 2016, due to weakness that was observed in its capital planning process. Our banks are fine. Our banks are okay. Bank stocks have been a big driver of the broader market's recent rebound. You could take a look at an ETF, an exchange-traded fund called KBE. It's, it's not called KBE, but it's their ticker symbol. It's the Spider S&P Bank ETF. KBE is the ticker. So the anticipated good news surrounding the CCAR have probably already been priced in. But again, U.S. banks, we are number one. USA, USA, USA. Um, I know you're saying, are you doing the USA cheer like they do for hockey or soccer? No. No, I wasn't doing that. Um, so the jobless numbers comes out this morning, every Thursday morning. Encouraging trend for the initial jobless claims has not been a surprise. So for 68 straight weeks, we've been under 300,000 now. Oh, no, make that 69. Something about the magical number 69 uh, as we stretch towards 100. Uh, 69 weeks 
now after claims have been under 300,000. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, we're at 268,000 this week. Um, that's longest streak since 1973. What were you doing in 1973? What was the music of 1973? It's probably something awful like, Summer Breeze makes me feel fine. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know what it was. I wasn't paying attention in 1973. Continuing claims for the week. Um, also came in a little bit better than expected, 2.1 million. So... Uh, continuing claims mean you've been unemployed for a long time. So, um, with that said, that's not good because it depletes your savings pretty aggressively, in my opinion. So, uh, or it retards your ability to save, right? So, other headline news out there today. Um, I said this yesterday, but I'll say it again. The average American watches five hours of television a day. That's insane. But do you know the average time spent by an adult on media? It's it's huge. It's 9 hours and 39 minutes. Uh, excuse me, it's now 10 hours and 39 minutes a day. So whether it's live TV, whether it's time-shifted TV with DVR, AM, FM radio, whether it's DVD, video games, multimedia devices, Internet on PC, smartphones, tablets... We are consuming an enormous amount of time of screen time. Um, that's a little crazy, in my opinion. So, about an hour fifty-two, an hour fifty-two a day of radio, four hours and thirty-one minutes of live radio, thirty-three minutes of DVR radio. Uh, I'm sorry, four hours and thirty-one minutes of live TV, thirty-three minutes of DVR. So, too much, <laughs> too much. Lionsgate's buying stars as media companies continue to consolidate. Walmart's offering free trial of two-day shipping program. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Playing a little theme music tied towards women, right? Women get shortchanged from saving for retirement. Whether you plan, you save, you invest. Living in retirement is not easy for any Americans, but for women it's even more difficult in my opinion. Women are 80% more likely than men to be impoverished at age 65 and up. While women 75 to 79 are three times more likely. Women need to save at work. Save early, save often, and save as much as you can. Uh, You should participate in your company's retirement plan if you're eligible. You should save in an IRA. 
You should save in a 401k. Whatever way you can start to save, save. Women tend to live longer than men, and men tend to marry a little bit younger. Um, and women take time off to raise children, and that ultimately hurts their career, whether you admit it or not. It does in this society. Labor force participation amongst women 55 to 64 climbed from 53% in 2000 to 59% in 2015. So more women are working now at an older age. While women are somewhat more likely than men to work for employers offering retirement plans, they're often not eligible due to working part-time. Women in healthcare, education, public administration are defined, uh, where defined benefit plans are more prevalent, have higher incomes in retirement, and lower rates of poverty. So um, lots going on there. But women have to work longer because they live longer. Living longer means more money uh, needed. So... Just throwing it out there. Might mean you get less Social Security, depending on if you're married, if you're not married, if you're uh, divorced, whatever happens. So uh, just know that you need to plan. With that said, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton, speaking of planning. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. He's with NewFocusFinancial.com. That's NewFocusFinancial.com. I want to do a topic today with you, Chad, if you don't mind, on bonds. Stocks means you own a little piece of that corporation. Bonds means it's an IOU. Mm-hmm. There's different types of bonds. There's government bonds. There's corporate bonds. There's municipal bonds. Um, there's foreign market bonds. There's berry bonds. There's floating rate bonds. There's a lot of bonds. Yeah. I bonds, zero coupon bonds. What do we need to know about bonds, in your opinion? Wow, and that's, that's a tough one because this is really the hardest area to manage right now, Rob. I mean, we're looking at historical low interest rates on bonds. We're looking at the Federal Reserve buying, you know, billions and trillions of dollars worth of bonds over the last couple of years. They were buying at the short end of the curve. Now they're going to be buying at the long end of the curve. So what you need to know about bonds, I think, first and foremost, is is look at the holdings in your bond fund that you've been owning inside your 401ks, because a lot of people own bonds for a nice little income, right? right. And then for a cushion when the stock market drops. So the idea of having a balanced portfolio or bonds in it means that because bonds aren't doing as well as stocks when the stocks are rallying, They'll they'll have a cushion for the downside, and in the long run, they win. But a lot of bun, bonds, because the yields are so low, they've been having to buy preferred stocks and, and stocks yielding up at the 3 and 4% range to keep their income high. So a lot of people are, are in bonds right now, bond funds that are becoming closet stock funds, and I don't think they might realize the overall risk that's there. So you know, it's something that you, you do have to peel gains from. So let's let's look at the different types, right? right? You've got government. On the corporate side, you've got high quality bonds, which are typically triple A or well, let's see, double A rated and above, right? Right. Then you've got junk bonds and then convertible bonds. We bought a lot of convertible bonds and high yield or junk bonds in two thousand nine in about May when right. they had dropped drastically. They were baby out with the bathwater. Then we had 20 or 30% returns on those funds. That's not normal. So when you get high returns on a certain area of bond funds, you really have to be careful about peeling off the growth. Um, also, you got to look at big price jumps like tips, for example, have jumped drastically when we really don't have a lot of inflation yet. Um, so look for opportunities when, when things like tips or treasury inflation protected bonds, when they pull back 5 or 6%, that's when your buying opportunities typically are. Which, again, we grew up, Chad, you and I both grew up at the same era, and we thought bonds were for old people. I feel bad for old people right now because interest rates are so low that bonds really aren't necessarily for them mm-hmm. because the bonds don't have the yield that it used to. So seniors can't put their money in the bank. They can't get money on CDs. 
it's too too low of rates. They, mm-hmm. The bonds, they have to increase their risk profile. And you don't really want to necessarily increase your risk profile with bonds because bonds are considered a little bit you know more consistent than stocks. Yeah, I mean, for the next couple of years, I can see why a 20- or 30-year-old don't just simply dividend-paying stocks instead of bonds because um, they can deal with the volatility. If the market has a big correction, they have time to either add more in after the correction or or save more in the long run. But older people, they can't really steer you know, they have to stay the course. And, and when you're older and you're close to retirement, you need three years' worth of expenses in cash. I know your cash isn't earning anything, but don't put that cash to work in high-risk bond funds. You've got to have three years' worth of your portfolio draw in cash and then a balanced portfolio. And make sure that the bond side of your balanced portfolio is diversified, uh, meaning you've got some governments, you've got some Ginnie Mays, a little bit of convertibles and corporates, but your duration, that's what you've got to pay attention to. You don't want bonds that are that are really outside of the five- to seven-year range right now, in my opinion, because um, you know two years just aren't attractive. They don't give you much income. And going out longer than five to seven years in duration on bonds, the length of maturity, you're taking on too much long-term interest rate risk. I remember when I first got into the business, I, I, I was trying to study bonds and analyze bonds, and it's difficult. That's a totally different skill set than analyzing stocks. So I think it's it's key important that seniors or wealthy people don't do their own bond work because it's not the same as stock work. It's it's a different art. Yeah, you know when interest rates are really high and heading down, that's the time where you can just kind of no brainer buy bonds directly and hold them till maturity. When we're in situations like this where it's unclear in the next two years where rates will kind of head, yeah. um, it's really helpful to get a good no load bond fund manager. I like how that you keep trying to say bonds buns. Buns, German buns. I think we're just hearing way too much about that yeah, in the, the news lately. But I think in times like this where the, the clarity on where interest rates are moving, that's where having a bond manager is, is attractive. But I, I can tell you that if we go through a period where, let's say, by 2015 rates are high right. and it looks like they're leveling out or coming down, I'm going to sell all my bond funds and buy individual bonds and hold them to maturity. I'm an individual bond kind of guy. Now, let's do one last topic on bonds. When we were growing up, there was a theory that you should take your age, 100 minus your age, and that's how much you should have in bonds. Or in stocks versus bonds. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And then and they again, changed it to like 120 minus your age. I think it's it's garbage either way. Because it's garbage. What, what you're doing is when you're dollar cost averaging, when it makes sense is when you're adding to your portfolio every month because of your paycheck, right? Right. But in retirement, to reverse dollar cost average does not work. The reason why is because that means every month you're selling something when you withdraw your, your paycheck to live. You're selling something at a loss because if stocks are going up seven out of ten years, usually bonds can be could be falling during that period of time, for example. So you're always selling something at a loss. So that's why you have to have safe money, a bond portfolio, a dividend-paying stock portfolio, and then your dividends and your bonds pay your safe money. Right. And then you rebalance and pull the gains off the table to uh, continue to keep your safe money at that three-year level. So you know, timing the market doesn't make a difference when you're younger. It does when you're older. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He's a certified financial planner. And he's at newfocusfinancial.com. And in time, this one reminds the other of a past, a life lived much too fast. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. I want to get you enough money to retirement. That's one of my big goals here. And part of that is to show you how the headlines work. And I I didn't panic on Brexit. Do I still think that the market could go down 10% at any point in time? Yes, it should. It's called a correction. Uh, Bear market down 30%, normal and healthy. Not every day, not forever and ever. But once every four to five years, totally normal, totally healthy. As long as the markets come back and do what they're supposed to do and hit all-time highs, seven out of ten years, I'm good. I'm all good in that hood. Some of my show is, I'll say things like, hey, Lionsgate's buying stars for $4.4 billion. It's broadening its distribution. Uh, you know we're watching a lot of TV. I've done that story, right? Um, but our choices are getting, you know, we're streaming Hulu, we're streaming Netflix, we're streaming. So companies like Lionsgate, who did the films Hunger Games and Twilight Saga, they bought cable network stars for $4.4 because they need to continue to stay relevant and get a catalog of content. Time Warner's got a catalog of content, HBO. Pretty awesome catalog of content. Um, and, you know, now you can probably get Hulu and HBO Go, and you're set for watching TV as much as you want. Throw in Netflix, yeah. You're totally set, right? Uh, as long as you've got some sort of broadband. <laughs> Otherwise, uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, Lionsgate, you know, I just told you they did the Hunger Games and Twilight Saga. Um, Lionsgate TV has produced several hits, too. Not just movies. Mad Men, Orange is the New Black, Nurse Jackie. So they're eager to expand distribution as viewers' demand for premium content grows and grows and grows. So Netflix and Amazon have invested more in their premium TV production business in recent years. I'd like to see someone like uh, Apple buy someone like a Lionsgate and Stars and get some content going for some sort of streaming service. Uh, I think they have to. I think that's the future of Apple has to be some sort of monthly recurring stream of income. Now... Stars, for their perp, for their matter, you know, they're a cable TV channel that basically has no growth. Even though they've got some pretty risque shows, they've got the girlfriend experience, which is kind of like softcore porn, or at least has some scenes in it that way. What's fascinating about some of this content, this premium content, is it's it pushes everything to the edge. You know, Breaking Bad pushes, you know, a high school teacher into selling, you know, crack or meth or what. But I guess it was meth, right? Um, the quality of the content is, is getting higher and higher. The writing of the content is getting better and better. So companies like Stars, they have to hire and pay for really good. This is a good time to be a TV producer, really good time to be a TV producer. Um, because if you can get the writers, you can you know, get a pretty good darn show out there. Um, things have changed a lot with competition. Uh, I would say the competition with streaming has really made the cable networks up their game big time. Um with that said, you know, the girlfriend experience, what I was going to bring up is um, the girl in the show is Elvis Presley's granddaughter. So it's Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. So kind of bizarre. So um, 
in some sort of weird way. Um, she kind of looks like Elvis. <laughs> and that's, oddly enough, it's, it works. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So I do the show to get you to retirement. But what happens if you get to retirement and you're, you're, you're senile? You've got Alzheimer's disease. When I was a kid, my grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. So it runs in my family. I know that. Uh, my dad died of cancer, so I know that I'm likely to, I'm potentially likely to die. Uh, it sucks because it hurts my life insurance quotes. So I'm worth a good deal of money, so I get life insurance in case I die. Um, I'll have life insurance until I'm about 60, and then I'll stop doing it because I don't need whole life. I don't need variable life. But here's something that scares the bejesus out of me. My grandmother had uh, Alzheimer's, right? And when I was young, I called it old-timers. One-third of individuals over 85 have Alzheimer's disease, and one in nine over age 65 have memory crippling disease. One in nine people over 65. Holy shnikes, right? Are you with me against me? Because this is a civil war. You need to pick a side. It's a startling demographic story as the American population ages. And as you get older, guess what? You can't remember financial issues. You can't remember how to read a contract. You can't remember why you're reading this contract. Sometimes you can't remember what your own name is. My mother's 80, and she clearly has Alzheimer's, uh, and she's been diagnosed with it, and it it, it progresses. So, you know, 10 years ago, she, well, 20 years ago, she had a couple strokes, and you factor that in with um, Alzheimer's, and she's not the brightest person. She never was the brightest person. She was from the South, and she married my father, and she traveled the world um, as a military wife. Um, high school uh, graduate, which is great. Uh, but she was never the brightest. She thought when she was 18 she could get pregnant by sitting on a toilet seat. I love my mom. She's the most important person in my my childhood. Um, not only did she wipe uh, me and diaper me, but you know she, she loved me and supported me and, and taught me how to nurture. Um, but one in nine people over 65. So as baby boomers are starting to turn 70, we're going to see more and more aging Americans hit Alzheimer's disease. And that's pretty scary financially speaking. More than 5 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's right now. By 2050, that number is expected to triple. So you can invest in it and, you know, whoa, you'll see a lot of money in healthcare go this direction. The majority of those people with the disease are over 65. Roughly 200,000 Americans have it diagnosed under 65. So, and that's called early onset Alzheimer's. Pat Summit died at age 64 this week, um, having been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease at age 59. So forgetting things and having trouble keeping up with younger people is, is, is frustrating. Like my mom, you would ask her, who's the president of the United States? And she goes, oh, you know, I know. And she had no clue. But she'd hide it from her kids. So what else was she hiding? Was she hiding that she didn't know how to turn off a stove? Was she hiding that, you know, um, she, like I told you, at one point in time, she fell out of bed and she couldn't get up for like two or three days and she sat in her own feces and probably came really close to dying if my sister didn't stop by the house. Again, was it three days? How do we know that? So amount of feces is one clear tell. Uh, the fact that she was dehydrated. Um, so Alzheimer's disease is the most expensive disease in the United States. It costs taxpayers $18.3 million each hour. $18.3 million each hour it costs the United States. The total national cost for Karen 
taking care of people with Alzheimer's and other dementias is estimated about $236 billion a year, with $160 billion coming from Medicare and Medicaid alone. Can we send our old people to the island of old people and cut the cost? No, because we don't have an island of old people. Maybe one day. The Alzheimer's Association estimates that the number of Americans with the disease grows. The total number of payments for health care and long-term care will increase by $1 trillion in the year 2050. So right now, you're talking about $236 billion. Medicare and Medicaid, your tax money is covering $160 billion of it. So that's $160 billion of $230 billion, right? So 16 to 7 is the number. So when you, you know, add these numbers up to the $1 trillion that we're going to be at by the year 2050, you can clearly see that the American taxpayers are going to be on the line to the tune of $750 billion per year. Um, that could fight a lot of wars, <laughs> right? It could fight the war on hunger. It could fight the war on uh, improving our roads. It could fight a war against terrorists. But we're going to be spending hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, incremental health care and nursing home costs for people with dementia, $32,781. But that's not right. Because if you take a look at long-term care, which you should be considering buying at around age 50, 52, 53, if you have longevity in your family or if you have Alzheimer's in your family. In 2015, more than 15 million caregivers provided an estimated 18 billion hours of unpaid care, valued at over $221 billion. So the amount of time that I flew back to Virginia to take care of my mother, the amount of time that my sister took off work to take care of my mother, we never got compensated for that. And it's billions of dollars, like I just said. 15 million caregivers provided 18 billion hours of unpaid care. Nearly half of caregivers have to go back to work work more hours, take a second job, or postpone retirement. I have no desire to have my mother live with me. So fortunately, she's in, and I'm in, financial shape enough to take care of her costs. Her costs are over $85,000 a year to live in an old person's home or an assisted living facility, which I graciously call prison. The day we dropped her off, she's sitting on the edge of her bed and you look at the room, it's not, it's not big. It's not spacious. It's got a bed, it's got a TV, it's got a chair. Um, it's kind of a small hotel room. And uh, it's sad. I mean, there's an element of sadness. A diagnosis of Alzheimer's is a complicated diagnosis. Um, the pathology of Alzheimer's has been studied for a long time, and we understand there's plaques and tangles that attack brain cells. Uh, we're learning more and more. But it's very, very expensive, and it cripples people. My mother couldn't handle her own finances at this point in time. So save enough for retirement so you can get long-term health care. Save enough for retirement so that you don't put yourself in a situation that's bad due to aging. Find me at robblackshow.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. She's like you know. 
I spend at least, I probably unsubscribe from an email every other day. Maybe two every other day. Maybe one a day. Is that a better way of saying that? Sure. Um, I bring this up in large part because I would vote for someone for president if they were to do, here's my platform. If they were to say, every American has to have a 401k. If you work, you have to have one. I'd vote for that person. If they were to say, if you're under the age of 35 and you want to opt out of Social Security, you don't have to put anything in, but you get nothing when you retire, I would vote for that person. I would vote for someone who will put to death anyone who spam emails you. Okay, maybe not put to death, but you get the idea of how frustrating it is. So when Elizabeth Warren comes out, and she scares Wall Street pretty aggressively, just so you know, um, when she comes out and she starts talking about how Amazon and Apple and Facebook are bad companies, she doesn't exactly call them bad companies. She doesn't exactly call them evil companies. But there is that thought that something out there is kind of dark in her thoughts. Elizabeth Warren has hit the tech industry in a new speech railing consolidation and concentration in the American economy. She says Apple, Google, and Amazon by name in a speech given in Washington on Wednesday. She thinks they're abusing their power to unfairly block new entrants to the market. If you work at Apple or Google in the Bay Area, you probably own a home, right? So when she starts saying you're too big, keep in mind, hear it. Google, Amazon, and Apple provide platforms that lots of other companies depend on for survival, but Google, Apple, and Amazon also in many cases compete with the same small companies. So that platform can become a tool to snuff out competition. She's 67 years old. She might be the vice president candidate for Hillary Clinton. It's thought that if she had ran against Clinton, she probably would have beaten Clinton because she's a lot more like Bernie Sanders without the crazy old 79-year-old guy tied to it. She's the 67-year-old woman. Um, So Apple Music is easily available on the iPhone. Apple's placed conditions on its rivals that make it difficult for them to offer competitive streaming services, she says. Amazon, she says, uses its position as a dominant bookseller to steer consumers to books published by Amazon to the detriment of other publishers, uh, using its dominant search engine to harm rivals. If you think about it, Amazon is a search engine, right? It used to be at one point in time, if we wanted to find like the best razor, we'd Google, you know, best electric razor. But now we just go to Amazon, hit electric razor, and see the top reviews. Um, that's what I do. So she says that Google, Apple, and Amazon have created disruptive technology that changed the world, and every day they deliver enormously valuable products. They deserve to be highly profitable and successful, but... There's always a but. The opportunity to compete must remain open for new entrants. Um, Who gets a shot at their own dream when big business can shut out competition? Entrepreneurs and small businesses are denied their shot, she says. Left unchecked, concentration will destroy innovation. Left unchecked, concentration will destroy more small companies and startups. Left unchecked, concentration will suck the last vestiges of economic security out of the middle class. Left unchecked. Concentration will pervert our democracy into one more rigged game. Do you agree with her? Do you disagree with her? 
The one that I kind of disagree, that left unchecked concentration will destroy more small companies and startups. No, I kind of agree with that, and that's why I like those companies as investments. They kind of do have that monopoly feel to them. Um, can they get out of hand? Sure. Microsoft got out of hand in the 90s because they were kind of left unchecked until the European Union kind of got on their back. Um, I like the line, suck the last vestiges of economic security out of the middle class. If you could use that phrase today, um, just use the phrase, suck the last vestiges out of, and you could finish it any other sentence you want. It's a big one. It's a big one. So other big stories of this hour, the Brexit appears to have been overblown on some levels. Does that mean we're done going down? No. But the Thursday, Friday, uh, you saw a lot of people come on CNBC and go, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And that's not necessarily the case. Uh, we've started looking at it and started figuring it out. 4% of the world economy, sure. Uh, their economic activity is not going to go to zero. Could they hit a recession because of this? Yeah, and how would they hit a recession out of it? Um, there's a lot of deals in place uh, at this point in time with uh, European con- European countries. And some of those deals will be honored and some of them will be cut. So, And sadly, the people who wanted to leave the European Union are probably the very same people who are going to get hurt by leaving the European Union. It's blue-collar workers. Um who tend to be not as educated as the white-collar workers and thus have more manufacturing jobs or low-level jobs um, that really needs trade relationships to be competitive in a lot of scenarios. Um, so just throwing that out there. Other big stories of note day, if I may. The first-time unemployment claims came in a good number. Uh, I have to look at the calendar Tomorrow, July 1. Is June only 30 days? Yeah, June's only 30 days. So I guess tomorrow we get employment numbers, first Friday of the month. Global market equities, global equity markets have uh, basically been flat today. So we had two down days, Thursday, uh, Friday and Monday. Two up days, Tuesday and Wednesday. Day, we're kind of looking flat. The month is ending, the quarter is ending. Um, so second quarter is coming to an end. Oil is sliding after Goldman makes cautious remarks. Uh, tied towards the supply of oil. Taking a look, we're seeing oil right around $48.60. If it could hold that for the rest of the year, it's had an amazing year. Um, somewhere between 40 and 60 is what people expect it to trade at. Uh, trading right here feels pretty good. 28 too low, 30 too low, 35 too low. You can find me at robblackshow.com, Twitter robblackshow, YouTube robblackshow. Don't forget, I got an event coming up in Burlingame you can sign up for. Sign up soon or rather than later at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.